Well, this is nice having you guys out. Brings back memories. Yeah. Yeah. Attendance has gone up today. Is it good? Not really out of there. But we're in Genesis 32, and we're actually still continuing in the study that you guys probably remember a little bit of uh, Genesis, God and man. But God and man, if you remember, we looked at Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob. And we saw that each of these men, each of these people in the Bible, and women too, if we look at Sarah and uh, Lot's wife, God dealt with them. We see with Jacob's uh, wives, Rachel and Leah, God listened to them as well when they had prayers. And God was intimately uh, involved with each of them. And that's really been the focus of the study of God and man is that God is really involved in each of our lives and wants to be. He's not absent. He's not missing. But in fact, even as we'll see today, he's there, he's in the flesh, and he's in person. Uh, but with Jacob and the story of him and what's happened in his life, and as we followed him from a birth as a twin, as he came out grabbing his brother's heel, uh, they had the birthright. You know the story about the stew that he made for his brother. His brother was a little manly. He was uh, a little more... Uh, you know, about the house and didn't like, wasn't as much a man of the woods as, as Esau was. Um, he deceived them. He had to leave and he cleaved to his wives, but he left his home because Esau wanted him dead. When he finally got that birthright, when he tricked his dad, who Isaac thought he was going to die, we see that he hasn't died yet, um, or he didn't die yet at the time. And, uh, he was so worried about dying, they gave away the birthright. But Esau said, I'm going to kill my brother. And I know if you guys have brothers and sisters, sometimes you may have wanted to say that or said it or wanted to do it. But Esau truly wanted to murder his brother for what he had done to him and the life of deceit against him. So he runs away. He lives with Laban. He marries Leah, even though he wanted to marry Rachel because Laban tricked him. He worked seven more years to get Rachel and we know about all the deceit and, and everything that went on then. Even with Laban, even as Jacob began to change, uh, Laban uh, was deceitful with him. But Jacob wanted his freedom, and God gave him favor. Remember uh, the story of the spotted and the speckled animals where Jacob would put out the sticks. And even when he got a bad deal from Laban, God used that bad deal and, and made it work out in Jacob's favor. But they have to flee. God tells Jacob to leave his family and to go back to the homeland leave Laban and go back to where he's supposed to be. Uh, but Laban chased him. Laban claims that all this stuff was his to begin with. Laban, you know, gets rid of all the facade. He takes off that veneer and he says, no, 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 all this stuff is mine and you took it, Jacob. But Jacob's like, did we not deal? Did you not change the deal? He stood up to him for once. But they made a covenant. They set up this pillar and said, all right, God's going to watch over us. I'm not going to come past this after you and you don't come past it after me. And they went their separate ways. And it says that Jacob feared the God of Isaac, that Jacob's faith by this point had become very real. He had the dream on the way up there. And he said, God, if you bring me back to this point and I'm okay, then I'll begin to follow you. But he had already begun to follow God by the time he got back to there. His faith in God had been growing. But this morning, as we get into this chapter 32, and uh, it's a lot, but I think, you know, the guys who made it into chapter 32 saw too that it all fits together and all works together as one cohesive piece. But have you ever felt alone, abandoned, lost? I don't even remember, I remember being little and being in the supermarket with my mom and 
I must have lost track of her. And then I, I'm talking to this lady next to me, thinking it's my mom. And I look and go, that's not my mom. God. I look down the aisle and my mom's over by the butter or the pepperoni, whatever is further down the refrigerated aisle. And I go run up to her. But have you been facing a great trial? I'm sure each of us have faced hard times. But what about one from our past? One that we thought was gone. We weren't going to have to deal with again. Then we got away. We moved away. Situations changed. But you've had to go back and, and face it again. Or it's caught up with you. Maybe have you ever had to deal with something raw, something emotional, deep-seated perhaps that, that rears up. Maybe it's not a problem external that comes back but an internal one that comes up. Maybe it's a family issue even. Maybe it's even with a family member. I think a lot of us, we can't get away from family. And so what do we do? We bury. We bury it, right? Or perhaps you've offended someone or worse than even an offense. Maybe you've done something to them like Jacob did to Esau in our past. And we haven't had to deal with them. But now it's time to deal with them. Now it's time to come face to face with them. Or perhaps I wonder, and I know that God calls each of us, but have we heard it? And have we heard him call us to do something, to, to speak to someone, to go somewhere, to move even? And when we do begin to obey, when we do begin to follow him, did things go as planned or did they not? Did the road ahead become dark and scary, even as David had said, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me he says but today well not today several thousand years ago Jacob is he dealing with all of these things and sometimes I wonder if we haven't yet experienced these things maybe we will or perhaps and hopefully not to the extent like Jacob did hopefully that we have a sibling that doesn't want to murder us and as we'll see coming against us with 400 soldiers basically or we have an uncle that chases us for a week and tries to claim all that we have is his. I can't imagine if I got to South Dakota and a family member came up to me and tried to take my trailer full of stuff. When I'm moving now, I'm like, this is all I got left. <laughs> or try to hurt me or something. That's what Jacob was going through. But I wonder if we haven't, are we not paying attention? Maybe we've just got a little more figured out in life than Jacob does. Maybe we haven't begun to slow down and listen and let God call the shots like Jacob. It took him a long time to learn, but he's learning it. He's getting there. I'm not saying we do, but I have to wonder. Because even recently, I wondered, man, things are going pretty easy, pretty smooth. Something's going to have to happen. And lo and behold, something happened. <laughs> got a phone call that really changed a lot of my plans and a lot of what I thought was going to be the next six months. But truthfully, it's much easier to follow the Lord when everything is smooth sailing. Oh, everything's great. I don't have any bills to worry about. No one's coming against me. I just get up and live life. Oh, yes, praise the Lord, brother. But as we'll see today with the story of Jacob, this history of what actually happened, it's not the easy times that bring us face to face with God. Lord, we do pray that, God, we would be in a sense, face to face with you this morning. God, we know that because of what your son did on the cross, because of what you did for us, Jesus, we can come face to face with the Father. God, we want to be face to face with you this morning. The things that you want to deal with in us, please point them out. The things that you're calling us to do, please give us the strength to go. The Lord, we just ask you to 
have your way. As Jacob was learning, God, it's better, God, than our ways. It is your way, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read, and hopefully we'll pick this chapter up and, and take it in bite-sized chunks. And the first chunk we'll take is the first uh, two verses in Genesis 32. And it says, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And we'll stop there. You can easily get through these two verses here and keep going. But I think that there's something kind of profound here, something that we perhaps would skip over that I don't necessarily think we should this morning. And it says, to begin with, that Jacob went on his way. That coming off the last chapter with Laban catching up with him, Laban trying to get everything back, accusing him of stealing things. Rachel, his daughter, had actually stolen his favorite daughter and she hid it from him and she was trying to get him back perhaps. But Jacob stands up with them. They make this deal. They stay the night and they go their separate ways. But Jacob goes on his way. He continues back down. He was stopped. He was on the run. But now he's continuing forward back to where God has him go. And he's leaving Laban and his old life and his old ways behind him. They have that marker between them uh, of his old family, of one that he was very much like, very deceptive, very much out for himself. And now he's not. And this reminds me a little bit of baptism, being separated of the old life of flesh and entering into the new life of spirit. And what always happens when we enter into the life of spirit, we leave the way of the flesh behind? Well, of course, problems come rushing towards us. Of course, things begin to change. As we begin to follow God as Jacob is, the old ways chase him and the old things come back to haunt him. But 1 Peter 3.21 says, There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this pillar between them was something to be set up to remember. And that's baptism in our life. We can look back and say, clearly there was a time when I wasn't saved. I remember praying and having the Lord come into my life. But then I also clearly remember that day I got into the pool in Middletown, New York at that hotel. I think it was a Holiday Inn with a bunch of other people. It smelled like chlorine, but we were dunked and my old ways went away and my new ways were the ones I wanted to follow the ways of God. But as Jacob continues back home on this trip, think of uh, traveling a long way. You guys came a long way yesterday, but imagine walking that long way, uh, even driving that, that way as long. We were thinking, what would it be like? Months and months and months of just sitting, not having a highway, not having signs, and just continuing back uh, through these mountains is the way he went home. But he had a lot of time to think. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we don't want that. Sometimes we don't want any time to think. So we put on the headphones, we put on the movie, we fall asleep with the TV on because we just don't want to think about what we have to think about. But Jacob has plenty of time to think here. He no longer has a worry about Laban pursuing him anymore. That's been dealt with. But now he's got to worry about something else, something more pressing. Laban was pressing before, but this is pressing now. Esau, what is Esau going to do? What's my brother going to do? Man, that 30 years ago. He wanted to kill me. He still want to kill me. And what does it say? In the midst of this, the angels of God met him. And then we read that in our biblical mind. We go, oh yeah, the angels of God met him. You know, perhaps they had wings. I don't think they did. That's a different kind of angel. We kind of have that picture. But maybe we have this picture on my mind. But sincerely, the Bible says that the angels of God met him. Can you imagine Jacob walking down the street? Some guy on the sidewalk, and some angels come up and meet him. 
That's what the Bible is saying here. The angels met him. And we see that Jacob, this man, this deceiver, or former deceiver, is a bit in tune with things that perhaps we take for granted. Like the Bible says, be careful when you entertain strangers. For what? You might be entertaining angels. Something that I think the Lord is trying to reveal to me a lot lately. Man, there's some spiritual truths out there that, yeah, I believe, but I think I need to come to grips with in the reality of that these things are real. Maybe we discount them, or maybe we don't even think it's possible, or not just for us. Sure, Jacob can meet with angels. Jacob can have a dream about Jacob's ladder. But if this is God and man, what's different between Jacob and you and I? Just a few thousand years. Maybe his location on earth. But is he not a person like you and I? Is he not one who needs God as much as you and I do? Maybe we just think they wouldn't happen to us. And maybe that's why they don't happen to us. And not that you'd be paranoid and think that angels are following you everywhere or everything that happens is something weird spiritual. So there's people out there like that, but perhaps we just miss it in life. And this word meet or met is paga. Sounds like something Jacob would say, pokebaga, <laughs> pokebaga. But it means to encounter, to meet, to reach, to entreat and make intercession. That God was showing Jacob, I am still with you. I have sent my ministers to minister to you. We see that angels minister to the Lord. Now, I don't know if he visually saw them, but Jacob knew whatever uh, Moses is writing here, that they met with him. He knew that he was being ministered to by angels. I have to wonder, do you ever know that you've been ministered to by angels? Now, be careful if they try and give you some other gospel where you hear a voice that's not the Lord's voice. But sincerely, perhaps that time when you pray and you seek the Lord and you're in trouble and all of a sudden you just felt ministered to, Maybe that's his angels ministering to you. Not that we would look to them and worship them, but know that God is with us. That though he was pursued and though he was being approached, both by, the, both by family members, which I think is interesting, his enemies, so to speak, are his family, his twin and his uncle. He did not know what they would do to him. He didn't know what Laban was going to do. He ran away, he didn't tell him. doesn't know what Esau is going to do. But God sent his angels to meet, to intercede, and to minister to Jacob in this time. And even though his family was against him, God and his angels were for him. Do you think that God does that for us? He does. How do I know? Well, he did it for Jacob. And his word says so. Matthew 18.10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, Jesus says, that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father, who's in heaven. Do you think that's hyperbole? Do you think he's making it up when he says that? Be careful what you do to these little children because their angels are always before the Father. He says anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it better a millstone be tied around their neck and then tossed into the ocean. Because God cares about them. And we see all the things that are done to children and to people today. But God's angels are there. And we're not going to escape that judgment. But you know what? With that, God and his angels... And he sent them to minister to each of us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. There are times I won't share for time, but stories as a kid, things that have happened to me. And my mom must have said or said to me that God's angels are watching over you. And I don't know what I thought of then, but even as an adult, I can see there's things like that that have happened even before I knew the Lord. But Jacob calls this place Mahanaim. And I'm sorry to anyone who actually speaks Hebrew and I'm butchering it. But it means two camps. 
It's this place east of Jordan where he is. Um, but Jacob calls it that because he realizes that this is God's camp. This is God's military base. This is God's host. That these angels here are here because God's here. You know, Jacob had a lot of people with him. But he realized that where he was was where God was encamped. And I tell you, that's got to be comforting. Not having a home anymore, being stuck between a rock and a hard place. Just like he was on the way up there, right? He laid his head down on a rock. And God says to him, I'm here with you. And he ministers to him. And Jacob recognizes that. I think that's the most important thing to take away is that Jacob recognizes that God sent his angels to minister. And he recognized that, man, this is, this is holy ground I'm standing on. Verse 3 says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, you ever think he would have ever said that 30 years ago? Your servant Jacob? No, I don't think so at all. And he says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants that I have sent to tell my Lord that it may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. And we'll stop there. But Jacob sends his messengers ahead. And this is smart. This is what any nation or country or leader or probably even gang or illicit organization or even a small business would do. We send out the sales team. You send out a representative to go talk. And that's smart that he sends up this delegation. Man, you kind of want to know what's coming. You kind of want to have an idea. This is not something you just want to stroll in unannounced. You want to go and find out what's up with your brother. But he's up to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. There's this river that comes through, the Jabbok. And he sends them down uh, south of the Dead Sea in Edom. Uh, if my quick math on the screen with my fingers measuring miles, right, it's several hundred miles, perhaps. So that's the distance. They, were they weren't just on his doorstep. They were still quite a ways away, especially when you consider riding a donkey or a horse or a camel um, or walking. But man, it's important that they get this message right. It's important all of now that this is told to him the right way. And I think Jacob trusted his messengers. I don't think he sent someone he didn't trust. He probably sent people that he trusted and made sure that they could say it right and say it in the right way. You know, how important it is that we say things in the right way, especially over the phone or a text or an email, but let alone when you're trying to diffuse a situation as grievous as this where your brother wants you dead. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Think about someone in your family. Maybe you haven't gotten along with them, but can you imagine them wanting actually to kill you and not just in a state of society where they can get arrested and go to jail but when they can get away with it mm -hmm. man it's important to be able to trust your messengers in that time we think about our realtor and how she's been wonderful and a blessing and we trust that she's getting the message across uh, we don't trust exactly how it's being received or heard at this point but we'll see um but man, an ambassador in a time of war, when two countries are about to go to battle, they need to have the right message said. And, and what can be said or not can really determine which way it's going to happen is a war is going to happen or not. But it's interesting that Jacob, the deceiver or the former deceiver, doesn't deceive at all in this message. He lays it all out. He says, I'm going back from Laban. 
when I'm loaded. He's not trying to hide that he's got all these things that his brother might want to take from him. He's trying to say, look, I have stuff. I'm not hiding it from you. I want to bless you, even in the message. Because I think the old Jacob would have said something else, perhaps. The old Jacob wouldn't even have gone back. I'm coming in peace. He wants peace with his brother. I don't want any harm on you. Not that I could do anything to you if I wanted, but I don't want... I don't want I don't want to fight you anymore. He saw you're my brother. Proverbs fifteen one, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And Luke sixteen nine, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, Jesus says, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. But it's interesting that these messengers come back, but they don't come back with a message. They don't say, Well, we told Esau, and Esau said to tell you this. They say, Esau's coming with four hundred guys. I wonder if they got close and they saw Esau with his 400 men and they said, I ain't giving that message. He's going to shoot the messenger. <laughs> no way. Let's just go back. <laughs> Maybe they got close and they started talking to one of the guys and pretended they were in the camp. And they're like, so what's Esau been up to lately? What has Esau been saying? And they said, well, yeah, we're going to go get his brother. I don't know what happened, but they don't have a specific message here from Esau unless I'm missing something. But verse 7 says, So Jacob was afraid and greatly distressed. I love when the Bible says things like that because sometimes I think we pass over how big a deal that is. He was afraid and greatly distressed. Can you imagine? Your family? You know how deep family emotion and rawness and goes with that where letting a grudge go is a big deal with family for some reason. It's coming 400 guys to get you. You only got a couple butter knives and some wives. You know, you're not, you don't have 400 men on your side. I'd be afraid. Greatly afraid and distressed. He's full-on panic. What are we going to do? We're out here. We don't have any place to go. We don't have any place to hide. We're in the middle of nowhere. They're going to catch up to us. Think of what happens when Pharaoh chases the Israelites, right? They didn't have any place to go. They didn't have an army. The commentary calls this Jacob's carnal plan, and I get that. He prayed after forming his plan, as we see. And his plan was based on fear and distress. But I don't necessarily think it was an unwise plan. I don't think it's unwise to plan. I think that when faced with fear and distress, it's important to plan. I think his order was a little out of, out of place. And his, his uh, you know, sometimes when we have motive to do something, we, we go too far in one direction or another. Uh, perhaps this was something he knew as being a shepherd when dealing with a predator. Well, let's divide the flock and we'll watch it that way. You know, at least if the predator comes, you only get half the sheep and you won't get the rest of them. You know, but that's a good plan for sheep. I don't know if it's a good plan for family. You know, I don't know that I want to split my family up and hope that, you know, the burglar at night only gets half of them. You know, uh, I'll split up my possessions in front of the burglar. I'll keep my family behind me. I don't want him getting any of them. Um, but when faced with uncertainty, you know, I believe we should plan. The Bible is clear. We even had a message recently about the practicality and things that we miss as Christians. Sometimes we're just not good at practical things, but we should be the best at practical things, the best at practical planning and purposing. Because we should plan, we should act, and we should be shrewd like Jacob was shrewd. But I just question, you know, his order of operations here. You know, Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, giving a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. And man, put some money in this bank account, invest something over here, plant this crop and plant that crop, because you don't know 
if one's going to prosper or one's going to fail or they're both be good or they're both fail, you know, you, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. But having said that, I have to wonder, because if Jacob's anything like me, maybe he would act differently if he prayed first. I know that there's decisions that I make in panic and in worry that I probably wouldn't do if I had prayed first. And there's times when I have a plan and I pray and then I come out and do something totally different on the other side of it because it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my plan. It wasn't my insight. I didn't have insight before I came to the Lord. Maybe he wouldn't have felt the need to split up at all. I don't know. But he knows that in his own strength, he doesn't stand a chance against these 400 men. Again, he's still assuming that Esau is coming to attack him. I mean, why would anything have changed? You know, just because his life has changed doesn't mean that his brothers has changed. Because the last thing he knew was Esau wanted to kill him, and that's why he left. And originally, I think his mom thought it would only be for a week or a weekend, and he'd come back. But it's been decades. And also, who's to say 200 men wouldn't go after one camp and 200 the other? Esau, if really, he really had a grudge and he really wanted him dead, he would, he would have figured it out. You know, it's the idea of, well, you know, <laughs> you might be able to stop a burglar or intruder, but if the federal government comes knocking on my door, I, got, <laughs> I can't stop them. I'm not stopping the tank. And I don't know. I think it's the same thing with Jacob here. There's only so much you can do. And not that it was a bad thing to plan, but it certainly wasn't foolproof or spiritually guided. Let's go on in verse 9. It says, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there uh, that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40, colt, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. You know, the title of the message is, You Said. You Said. And we see Jacob in his prayer bring that up to God. And I believe this is a sincere prayer. He says that he fears his brother. And I think that's probably why, you know, that there's that deep relationship there with him and his brother. It's his twin. That's probably why he panicked and went there quick. But, you know, he had to get his priority right. Let me fear God before I fear Esau. But how many of us are so perfect to pray before everything that goes on? But we should. We should make it a point. When we notice that we're planning and acting out of panic and fear and desperation, step back, stop for a minute and pray. Because praying late is better than not praying at all. Even if you've already begun to take some action, stop, pray, and see how God might redirect your path. But he says, The God of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, the Lord who said to me, you know, he's acknowledging who God is to him, but also God that his God is God, and God is his God. And he's come to a point through, as we've looked through the other chapters, that he's really come to a point in trusting God and knowing who God is, and that he has everything he has because God has given it to him. But I love that he reminds God of what he told him. He says, God, you said, you told me to come here. 
you told me to leave my uh, abusive uncle and I probably could have hung out there and yeah, it would have been a rough life, but you were telling me to get out there. It was time for me to leave, time for me to go. You told me to come down here and now my brother's coming out with 400 men. I can't even get a message to him, God. Can I get a message to you? Please hear me. Please hear me. You're, you're God. You're the God of Abraham and Isaac. You're my Lord. Where else can I go? You told me, God, I will deal well with you. You said you're going to deal well with me, God. Because Laban certainly hadn't dealt with him. Didn't look like Esau. Esau looked like he was going to deal with him, but it looked like it was going to deal good with him. God, you said if I do this, you're going to deal well with me. Uh, Laban's left me alone. That's dealing well with me. But now, how is this going to work out, God? How is Esau going to, how are you going to deal well with me through Esau? How is he going to do this? Because he certainly didn't feel like it. He was overwhelmed. But you know what? All of this, all of it, was God dealing well with him. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that God is not dealing well. And Jacob is out here again. He just got done running away from a week from Laban. And he's barely out of that one problem, out of the frying pan and into the fire. And he's faced with a bigger problem. Isn't that true in life? That the reason I think the Bible says we go from faith to faith is because we go from problem to problem in life. And that little lull of not problem, well, there's probably something we should be looking for, but really... It's kind of this air time, this hang time between them. But he was here facing Esau now. I wonder how far Esau would have gone. I wonder if he hadn't run away from Laban, if Esau would have come all the way up there and Jacob would have anything to do with him. With I don't know. But he was here because God had told him to leave. He was in this tough situation because he was obedient to God. And have you ever been in that position? Think of looking for housing last year. God told us to move out of here, so we gave our notice to our landlord, and we were supposed to be out. And we were a couple weeks away from being out, and we didn't have a place to stay out here. We've been trying remotely, and then I flew out here. I was out here for a weekend, looked at a couple places, um, and I went home not knowing where we were going to live. And yet, God knew, and God took care of us. And now, I guess I didn't learn enough last year, so now we're kind of in a similar situation. Don't know where we're going to live next, although we know we have to be out at some time. Thankfully, there's not a date yet, and I'm going to turn my phone off so I don't get the phone call. But sincerely, man, you know, we're having a baby this week, but I'm in this because this is where God has us, and God's been telling us, um, I think even earlier this year, we're like, we just had a sense that this was the year that God was going to get us a house, and we were going to wait to look. So maybe we wouldn't have found the right house, or we're not going to find the right house if he didn't give us a little kick out the door and say, it's time to start looking. But you know, following Jesus and being a believer in him is not the easy path in life. I think sometimes we sign up for it because we think it'll be easier. Oh, God's getting us out of all our problems. All our sins getting forgiven. Oh, life's going to be so grand. And it is. And then you go down the path a little bit. Like the Bible talks about the four types of soil. They spring up quickly, but as soon as the heat of the day comes, they wither. They go away. That's not to be us. There's going to be heat in the day. Matthew 17, 13, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And I have to wonder, man, there's a few Christians out there, 
But I think, unfortunately, at least in what I've experienced in Western Christianity, it shouldn't be Western Christianity, it should just be Christianity, there's few who find it, even among those who might call themselves the household of God. And let's be real, and look at the scripture like we're looking at with Jacob here. Let's look at Paul's life, one of the quote-unquote greatest believers, or John the Baptist, beheaded. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24-30, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one, each one of those probably could have killed him. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Can you imagine getting hit with rocks? People wanting to murder you. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was watching a movie about World War II and these guys who kept trying to escape from Dunkirk and the boat sinks and then they get another one and that one gets torpedoed and they get another one and they get shot. It's like, and then they didn't want to go below and the other guys came to rescue him on the boat. They didn't want to go below. And the dad tells the young boy who's, who's helping them on the boat, like, they don't want to go below. Don't make them go below. I wouldn't want to go below. I think we get shell shocked like that in our faith sometimes, but we need to continue. He says, A night and day I've been in the deep, and journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of his own family, perhaps, and perils of the Gentiles, perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, and weariness and toil, sleepness is often, hunger, thirst, fastings often, cold and nakedness. Paul saying, I was cold. Sorry, guys, if you were cold last night for Jesus. But <laughs> sincerely, Paul was cold and naked for what? For following Jesus. And I don't think we get that. I, I barely get the tip of the iceberg or the tip of the iceberg of that. But I see that, man, there's so much more of that. Man, shouldn't we know Jesus in these things? Shouldn't we draw closer to him? Romans 8 talks about who will separate us from the love of God. Should all these things? No. But Jacob is not the same person. Physically, he's older. He's different. We'll see that physically he'll change some more. Spiritually, he's not either. Spiritually, he's a different man. He acknowledges all that God has done for him in this prayer and his great need for a Savior. He's crying out for God to save him and his family. God, please. I, I, he's the only one that can do this for us. And you told us. You brought us here, God. You brought us here. So please, show us. Get us through. For you said, you'll surely treat me well. And he reminds God of the Abrahamic promise, the one that was given to Abraham, who we saw that even God made personal to Jacob earlier in his life. Like, I'm going to make you a great nation out of you and your descendants. And what does he do? He camps there again that night. Sometimes that's all you can do is just, all right, brought him before the Lord. There's nothing else I can do. Let's just go to bed. But, he has this interesting plan that whatever animals come close, those must be the one God wants me to give to Esau. So he's setting up camp. He's got all the animals lowing and whatever amount of goats walk up, whatever amount of cows come walking over. You know, we look at a couple of houses of cows and kids would go over the cows and some would kind of come close. That's an interesting plan, I think, because he truly trusted God. Even with this illogical plan, like the sticks before, that everything he had, he knew was from God. So no matter how many he had to give up, in order to appease his brother, to make things right, it was worth it. Like uh, the New Testament, was it Zacchaeus who gets saved? And he says, I'll repay four times whatever I have taken. He's willing to lose it all to protect his family. Why? Because he knew it all came from God. He wasn't hanging on to it because he knew it wasn't his to begin with, unlike Laban who was trying to take what wasn't his because he thought it was all his. But I believe Jacob knew that God was his real provision. That God gave him all of these anyway, even when he got the short end of the stick. That all these things even came to him 
through uh, almost miracles of circumstances. So we say, God, if these animals come close, I'll set them aside, and these will be the gifts. I think that's good. He wasn't just choosing the worst out of Locke. Whatever came to him was what was going to go. Let's go on to verse 16. It says, For then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and he said to his servants, Pass over before me, uh, put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. So the morning comes, they have all these animals that come together, they've you know, grouped together in these waves of gifts, waves of blessing, but he sends out his servants to go with space in between them. So here's one gift, see how he reacts. Here's another one, here's another one. Just try to kill him with kindness over and over. Your servant, Jacob, present after present. Isn't that um, uh, what you might do in a dating relationship? Send out flowers, send out this, send out a card, trying to make up. Um, or perhaps in an uh, international delegation, you send one thing, you send another, you send another. He was hoping to soften Esau up here. He was hoping that whatever ill will could be pacified with all these gifts. Not just one big gift, but over and over and over and over. And isn't that how the Lord won us? By being kind to us over and over and over again. I think he's also trying to show Esau that Esau, you're the one in charge. You're the older brother. Your, your servant, Jacob, that although I sold a birthright from you and that's, you'd serve me, I'm saying I'm going to serve you. Even though I had the birthright, I shouldn't have stole it from you. He acknowledges his brother for who he is. And I think that goes a long way into mending relationships is acknowledging who they are to us, to humbling ourselves and perhaps even getting down on our knee and asking for forgiveness calls him Lord is not you know just a term like master and servant but I think sometimes we need to do this we need to say even though you know I'm your older brother even though I'm the mom I'm your servant the greatest of uh, these is the least right but Proverbs 18 says a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city the contentions are like the bars of a castle and I think it's so sad I can it breaks my heart in a sense to read it, it says uh Perhaps he will accept me when I see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. Maybe, maybe this will fix it. Have you ever been in a place in a relationship where you just, I don't know what else to do, but I just, I hope this works. I want this to work, and not out of some selfish motive. I think Jacob truly wanted everything to be right with his brother again, not just for his own safety. I mean, in some sense, how can he not? It's his twin. But it says that he stayed back again. You know, have you ever done that or experienced that? You've sent a letter, left a voicemail, did your best to try and make things right with someone. But now you're just hanging back, seeing what's going to happen, what's going to come in the morning. But all because Jacob was seeking God first, doing what God told him to do to make things right, to go back to face his past. That God had a plan and a purpose. And this is easy for us to see because we can keep reading. Jacob could have read He had to wait. He had to wait those hours, wait for the sun to come up, wait for uh, the servants to come back. 
all the time with all these things on his mind, wondering what his fate would be. But Jacob couldn't inherit the promise of God unless he went back to where God wanted him to be, the promised land. But Esau, 400 men, and 30 years of uh, grudge building up were between here and there. Let's go on, 22 says, So he rose in the night, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok, and he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. That Jacob sends his family over the brook the night, and his night is like, all right, let me just get you guys over there. Let's get it over. Um, you know, that's kind of a big deal. We take it for granted. Oh, they crossed the river. I mean, even our creek behind our house, I can't imagine trying to get my family and their belongings through that. You know, it's cold, it's rushing, uh, it's deep for the little ones. Um, but Jacob was found left alone again. And his family was down the other side of the river. He was still over there. You know, I think sometimes as the father or the head of the home or even just a parent with kids that, man, there's situations that they're on the other side of. Kids don't know everything that's going on. We share with them enough. We share with them the, the broad strokes, but we don't want to worry them or concern them, but we want them to be involved in the situation with us because we are a family. We don't hide things from them. But he's still alone in it. Even if I try and share my issues with Mia or Jacob, they can't help me. They can't even get a job. But he felt alone in this situation. Only God could help him. Even with everything he had, even with his plans in place, even with the delegation out before him, he knew the only thing that was going to fix this situation with him and his brother was God. Mm-hmm. And it's good to get everything said as much as you can in life. But it's also so important to get that alone time with God. Do whatever you can. Plan it up. Fix it up. But get that alone time with God. And it says that a man wrestled with him. And this is obviously a Christophany as we see here as we read further. But again, this Jacob is having these serious personal spiritual things going on in his life angels the dreams and now he's actually wrestling with god would you ever think that the deceiver would be so involved in the truth of spiritual things with god himself man don't we judge people and think uh, god's going to use him because he's perfect no way does that man have any spiritual insight it's the opposite it's the opposite his dreams his prayers and his children were being born to barren wives the sticks, the speckled, the spotted, the altar, the angels ministering, and now this. This word man is man as in a male, a husband, which I think is interesting. A champion or a great man is also just, could just mean a man. But it says that they wrestle, they grapple. They get dusty is that word. Think, uh, grappling is hand-to-hand combat. It's the act of gripping or seizing the opponent as in wrestling. It's not all of wrestling, but it's a component of it. Grappling is used at close range to gain physical advantage such as improving your relative position or cause injury to the opponent. Grappling covers techniques across many disciplines, but disciplines. But these guys are close together. They're on the ground all night wrestling. I, don't know, I wrestle with five minutes with Jacob, and I'm whoo. <laughs> but grappling uh, contests often involve takedowns and ground control. Think about tapping out in a fight that you're trying to get this person to submit. It says a man wrestled with him. It didn't say Jacob wrestled with a man. It says a man wrestled with him. That Jesus showed up for this, just this purpose. That he was there to take Jacob to the ground. To get him to submit. And sometimes God allows situations in our life to get us to the ground. To go where he wants us to go. Do things we wouldn't normally have done. To change our plans. 
And you know, it's good to wrestle with God about the problems going on in our life. It's good to let him know the struggles, the doubts, the fears, the concerns, to argue in a sense with him, the problem at hand, a drama, a family member, all night if we have to. Have you done that in a hard situation? Can't say I do it all the time, but there's been times when I've lost sleep and had to grapple all night and all day. Even just going to work, still grappling. It's better to trust. And I found that out. It's better just to trust, but sometimes, for some reason, you just can't do it and you have to grapple. But know that God will get down and dirty with you and I if it's where we are. Jesus came down to meet with him. Jacob was in the mind to wrestle, so God said, let's do it. Let's go for it. I love that song that we sang, the lyric that says, You know everything, yet you listen through my anxious thoughts with compassion. Verse 25 says, Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So uh, he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jesus was like, the sun's coming up. I got to get going. I'm going to get Jacob to tap out now. I'm going to touch his hip and put it out of joint. And it's interesting that as dawn was approaching, these spiritual things were happening at night. The dream, probably the angels, and now this. I have to wonder sometimes in my life, I feel like maybe God talks to me and I miss it in the day and it takes the nighttime for me to hear. I tell you though, when I seek in the day, he will speak, but I think sometimes he has to wait for us to be quiet and nothing else going on. But God pursued him, you know, and maybe God had something else to do in the day. Maybe he had an appointment to get to, someone else to wrestle with, but he's like, Jacob, the sun's coming up. Let go of me. Enough. It's over. And I think about my kids when I have to go back into my office at work. I'm like, I can't play anymore. I can't spin you around anymore. I have to go back. I get the sense that's sort of what Jesus was doing is here. But you know what? That Jesus condescended to his level. The one he made out of the dust of the earth, he's willing to get down and wrestle with in the dust of the earth. He's kind. And he puts up with us. And he pursues us. But can you hear the desperation in Jacob's voice, the pleading, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. No, you can't go, God. You can't. I need you to bless me. And isn't that what Martha in the garden, or was it Mary in the garden, who's like, uh, you know, Jesus said, don't cling to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, have to, I haven't yet ascended yet. But we get to cling to God in heaven. He's like, please take care of us, God. I think perhaps he still hadn't learned complete trust. Like when God promised to care for him those years ago when he was going up to Laban's in this probably very similar area. Jacob said, well, if you prove to me, I'll, I'll believe you. But that's exactly why God had him in this situation, to get him to completely trust him. And God knew Jacob's name, but I think he asked him to, to do a point and to show him something powerful. But Jacob was asking for a blessing. And God didn't give him money. He didn't give him a coin. He didn't give him say that Esau's not going to hurt you. He says, what's your name? He says, your name, he goes, Jacob. And he goes, well... Jacob, you deceiver, you heel catcher, you wrestled with God and man and prevailed. You've been self-willed, and now you're going to be spirit-led. And your name is going to be Israel, governed by God. That Jacob's real name was Israel. And even though his parents named him one thing, and his flesh and his life was lived one way, when he encountered the living God and even wrestled with him, 
God wrestled it all out of them. God worked it all out of them to make Jacob a brand new man. And God will do that with you and I. And he prevailed with God, his birthright, with Laban, with Esau. But he didn't yet know it yet, but he would prevail there as well. Let's go on. Read the last few verses. The 29 says, Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, "Why?" I'm sorry, I jumped ahead on that one. Tell me your name, I pray. Uh, why is it that you ask about my name? Oh, I'm sorry, this, that's why I'm confused. I'm confused. So Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said to him, Why is that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. Seeing that God asked Jacob, what's your name? To make a point to Jacob. And Jacob says to him, what's your name? Who are you? I think he maybe he knew it was God, or maybe he thought it was another angel. You know, he had met angels before. Maybe it's just another angel, a messenger of God. But he needed to know for sure. He needed to know what is going on here. I think it's great that the the man that wrestles with him says, "Why do you ask about my name? Like, haven't you figured it out yet? Don't you know who I am, Jacob?" John 14, 7 through 11, Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. They asked, Jesus, show us the Father. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, and so can you say, show us the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak you do, uh, to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus is saying the same thing here. He's like, we've wrestled all night and you still know who I am, Jacob? And Jacob knew he's, he's God. Peniel means facing God. He you believe that? Jacob faced God. He realized that it was God himself in the flesh, God and man. Later on in Exodus, God says in 33.20, You cannot see my face, Moses, for no man shall see me and live. This is something special going on here. Something changed between this early time of the Abrahamic covenant and by the time of the law. Sin, I believe, had gotten so rampant and the law was necessary and people had grown so distant from God that he had to, he had to approach them in another way that this way wouldn't have worked anymore. But this way personally worked with Jacob. But for the people, Moses had to hide in a cleft of a rock. And Moses survived, but Jacob saw him face to face. And God wants to see us face to face. He doesn't want us to be killed when we encounter him. We're allowed to come up the mountaintop. We're allowed to see him because of what Jesus did on the cross. That veil is torn. We can enter the Holy of Holies and spend time with God. God wants to be personal. God wants to be intimate. And he will show up at night in those times of trouble. He does make time for us. Again, he'll wrestle with you if you need to wrestle with him. If you need to be angry at God, be angry with him. No, he might knock your hip out of joint, but you can be honest with him. And Jacob names that crossing Penuel face to face with God. Can you imagine? Every time you go back to the river, this is the point right there. See that little mark on the dust? That's where he pinned me. But I wouldn't let him go. But now, Jacob 
now named Israel, walks with a limp. Abraham became, I mean, Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarai. And Jacob becomes Israel. And he has his limp. And I think it's interesting that the tradition that they had was not to eat the hip muscle that God apparently shrank in Jacob. And I think it's funny how we come up with traditions because of spiritual things that happen. Like, I'm not going to eat the hip meal. And I get it. You're trying to remember it. But God doesn't say, from now on forth, you shall not eat the hip meat of this animal. But that becomes this tradition and law to them, so to speak. And these things that come out of spiritual moments and movements in life, like they're doing a tent meeting up on 93. And I get it. They're trying to relieve some history and keep it going. But they really need to do a tent meeting. There's nothing really special about meeting God in a tent. God's not going to show up more at the tent than he does on a Sunday morning. So I get it. There's nothing wrong with it. I might, you know, I might even go visit. I don't know. But the point is that, man... We don't need it. We can eat the hip meat. Uh, but sincerely, just like communion, it's not his actual body and blood, but it's a way to remember. I think sometimes perhaps we take away the wrong things from spiritual times when we should take away the right. And as we close, Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector is here next to me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So not sound like Jacob's prayer earlier. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And when we truly seek God, we may end up wrestling with him. Or rather, it's God wrestling with us. Jacob saw God and he lived, but now he had a limp. Just like Moses had a glow, Jacob has a limp. He no longer could trust in his flesh. He had to walk with a cane. In fact, his flesh got in the way, meeting with God. And that's why God touched his hip. Paul and the thorn, right? Paul had a thorn in the side after meeting with God and, and perhaps even from the time when he experienced heaven and being stoned. Because when we truly meet with God, our dignity is going to suffer. Perhaps our lives will become handicapped to what they could have been. I could have been such a great businessman, but God told me to follow him. I would have had all this money saved, but God told me to tithe. I would have had this relationship, but God said it wasn't for me. And maybe you're single now into your 30s, 40s, 50s because you follow God and among the world and to the world, your reputation in the world, perhaps it's handicapped to them. But that limp to them is now a strength to you. Our names and personalities have been changed. We're going to be forever identified with God. We're no longer the old person. We put on the new man in Christ Jesus. We will get up justified and we will limp away blessed. It's better to enter into heaven maimed than the hell whole. But for Jacob, the situation wasn't yet over. But he had all that he needed. And Father, we just thank you for this time in your word. And God, you put these things together on purpose and with a plan. And that, uh, just like that, you put together a purpose and a plan in our lives and allow situations and things outside of our control to happen. But God, you know. And God, we look to you to, to bless us and your very presence that you would even show up is really the blessing and that we're new and different and can face things not like the world faces them with uh, crazy plans. 
But God, we can know that you've gone before us and you go behind us and, and you've known about all these things from before the foundations of the earth. So we trust you and ask us to help you trust you more. And uh, if there comes time we need to wrestle you, please help us and pin us down quick that we might learn to submit to your authority. We love you, God. Trust you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.